The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As I said earlier in the, in the worship set, that there's a couple of things that a good shepherd does for his sheep always, and uh, those are he provides and he protects. A good shepherd always does those two things for his sheep. He provides and he protects, and, and in Bible days, there were shepherds, but, but there was another category of people who looked after sheep called hired hands. Jesus talks about this himself in John chapter 10. And a couple of years ago, we spent about six or seven weeks in one chapter of Scripture in John chapter 10, where we called it the good life. And, and we alluded to these things that, that there were both shepherds and hired hands. And the hired hands, they didn't really care, right? They, they weren't all that interested. They had no skin in the game. They had no investment in, in these sheep. They were hired. They were hired to watch the sheep. They were hired to feed the sheep. But, but there were others, sheeps right? Or sheep. There, there were other people's sheep. They weren't theirs. And so uh, they weren't all that interested. But the shepherd, when you have a shepherd, that's different, right? Those are his sheep and, and he cares for his sheep and he washes his sheep and he watches over his sheep. And, and he wasn't hired to watch those sheep. He, he cares about them because they are his. And when they are your own, right? You know this about your children, right? When they are your own, you go the extra mile. You go the extra mile to nurture them. You go the extra mile to make sure that all of the sheep are around for a long, long, long time. And so we're going to dig in today. So get your Bible out and, and, and we're going to walk through it and we're going to look through this verse by verse. Okay. And so here's what I want to ask all the students to do. I know you didn't sleep. I want you to sit up, sit up, sit up. We're not going to sleep, okay? I'm about to give you helpful help. Sit up, move your butt forward in a chair, get your pen out, get your Bible out, and I'm going to help you today, and we're going to walk through it. If the person beside you has fallen asleep because they've been at lift tour, you, you, you elbow them right in the Adam's apple, okay? And wake them up because we're going to walk through this scripture today, and I promise you helpful help today. So let's look at it, all right? Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, I want you to take your pen and I want you to circle the word my in your Bible. Star it, circle it, underline it, highlight it. That word M-I, that personal pronoun. He is my shepherd, right? This was personal for King David, who was the king of Israel. This was a personal thing to him. He's saying my shepherd. So let me just take 30 seconds to a minute to explain this to you and help you understand how important this word my is because all throughout the Middle East, okay, in Middle Eastern history, all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the, the Old Testament, the term shepherd is a really, really, really important term. It was used of great kings in, in Bible days, King Cyrus in the day of Daniel. He, he was called a shepherd. It was used to express authority. It was used to express power. But, but in the Bible, 
the Lord is a shepherd. And, and we see that over and over in Scripture. But he's not my shepherd all throughout Scripture. He's the, he's the shepherd, right? He's the shepherd of all of Israel. Listen to a couple of verses. In fact, write these down, and you can look them up later this week. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 10. Jeremiah 31.10, it says, The Lord uh, will watch over his flock like a shepherd. Now, flock, that, that's a group of, uh, of geese, right? Or a group of birds or a group of lambs that, that he cares for the whole flock. It's plural. The whole nation of Israel is what's referred to there. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 10, I will rescue my flock from the mouths of their enemies. In other words, they're going to be eaten and he will rescue his flock. Again, plural word, right? Flock. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 16 says, The Lord our God will save his people like a shepherd saves his flock. The whole flock, right? The flock, the whole flock, and nothing but the flock. You see this all throughout Scripture. But then you get to this psalm and Psalm 23, and you see this word, my. In most cases, when I've asked you to star or underline that word my, it's because it's some sort of self-centered or selfish uh, reference point, right? But not here, not in Psalm 23. You get to it, and, and this is the picture of intimacy. This is a very, very, very unique thing in Scripture for a shepherd to be my shepherd. And everywhere else, God is the shepherd over all of Israel, the whole nation of Israel, the two million plus children of God in the nation of Israel. But here in this Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my personal Lord. And I don't care about the other 1,999,999 sheep and Israelites and, and part of the family of God. This is for me, right? He's my shepherd. This is first and foremost about a personal relationship with God. The shepherd, by the way, is the most personal term in the biblical, to refer to your, your God, right? There, there are words like king and, and deliverer. Those are strong words in the Bible, right? But not everyone has an audience with a king. And not everyone sees their deliverer. There are words like rock, he's my rock, or he is my shield. Again, those are very strong words. But you don't have a relationship with a rock, right? You stand on it. It is firm and it is secure and it's a firm foundation. But you don't relate to a rock. And there are times when we need a king. And there are times when we need a rock. And there are times when we need a deliverer. But at all times, we all need a shepherd. And we need my shepherd, the Lord. And so let me just explain to you for a second how in the Middle East, sheep are treated because they are affectionate towards sheep in the Middle East. And many times on a trip to Israel, our tour group will wander into a shepherd who's crossing the road with sheep or goats. And, and you watch this play out. And we've interacted with some of these shepherds at times. In the Middle East, they, they love them and they have names for them. They give them all uh, names or nicknames, right? They, they nickname their sheep based on the characteristics of the sheep. I do that for you, by the way. Many of you have nicknames, right? And, and uh, your shepherd refers to you by the nickname sometimes faithful and, and beautiful and, and stupid and whatever, right? And, and, and so we, we have nicknames, but most of the shepherds at the end of the night would bring their sheep into the pen and they count them. One, two, three, 10, 11, 12, 23, 24, 25. But, but good shepherds and skilled shepherds and loving shepherds, they don't have to count the sheep. They just know. 
They they don't have to count them because they can sense every sheep and its presence, right? And and they have this ability just to get close to the flock of sheep, and they know immediately if they're all there or not. And if not, which one may have strayed off? In fact, when I was studying this, I heard a story of a a modern-day shepherd in in the Middle East who you can blindfold and and put, with a blindfold on, he puts his sheep in the pen, and just by the smells and the noises and the feel of the sheep around his legs, he can tell which sheep is there and which sheep is not there. And when a sheep is hurt or a sheep is helpless, the shepherd takes special care of that sheep. And they have this scarf thing when it's a lamb. And they will put that lamb into that scarf that is around their chest to keep that sheep close to them and so that the lamb has time to heal. But it's even more so so that the lamb knows that the shepherd loves him or cares about him, which is even more important than the time to heal, right? And I want you to hear today, your shepherd loves you. I want you to look at the person beside you and say, your shepherd loves you. Your shepherd loves you. Listen, he loves you. Your God loves you. No other God in the pantheons of gods, no other God in all of world religions loves his followers like our shepherd, like our God. Our God is a shepherd and he wants a personal relationship with each of the sheep. And it's from that relationship, by the way, that he gives us provision. And it's from that relationship that he gives us protection because he is your shepherd. And because he is your shepherd, he loves you and he cares for you and he protects you no matter what happens. He will take a personal interest in you. Look look at that phrase again. The Lord is my shepherd. Verse one, I shall not want or I lack nothing. By the way, this is a declaration. This is not a prayer request. In fact, there's not one place in this whole Psalm anywhere uttered out of the mouth of David or the pen of of David, uh, some plea or some request of God. Everything in this whole Psalm is a declaration and it is assumed from their relationship. And look how David puts it. I lack nothing or I will not lack. Literally in the Hebrew, this is the way it should be written. I lack not. I lack not. Some of you are products of the 80s and the 90s, like I'm products of the 80s and 90s. You remember we used to do that with with the word not? We would make a phrase, and then we would put the word not on the end of it. How many of you remember that? How many of you remember that, right? It was crazy annoying, wasn't it? I mean, it was crazy annoying. When you walk up to your friend and go, that shirt looks good on you. Not. (laughs) I think you're really smart. Not, right? I would love to go to prom with you not right. We were such jerks and and we were unkind in the process, but they got that. That's not a product of the eighties or nineties. That didn't come along with a Rubik's cube that David did that because that's exactly what he says in this Psalm. I lack not. He said, I lack not. I I, I don't, I'm not going to lack. Why? Because he is my shepherd. And some of you listen to me, you need to put a knot at the end of your sentences. You need to put a knot at the end of the things that you've allowed to believe in your heart and you've allowed to believe in your mind because you're a child of God. And some of us uh, spend time in the world and we end up echoing what the world has to say about the culture that we live in rather than looking at it as the children of God, right? And we see some need and we start confessing it. And we confess what the world would confess and we shouldn't confess what the world would confess. Last week, we, we, I introduced you to Anthony Diaz who's sitting right here front and center. And I told you that he had sent out letters to raise money for Egypt, and the temptation, I'm sure, was for him to think, maybe God wasn't in this, and maybe I'm not supposed to go to Egypt. I'm proud to tell Anthony today that not only is he going to Egypt, there are not enough friends that he has to invite to camp to go with him that'll be on scholarship. And so, because of your faithfulness and your gentleness, and so 
We're going to have to spread the wealth uh, among all of you inviting friends and inviting people to go to camp who need a scholarship. And, and we want to help youth, all of our youth ministries across the board in regard to that. And, and some of you are identifying with what is bad in your life and you are saying it out loud. And I'm telling you as a child of God, this is a faulty belief and a faulty behavior that, that you see some area where you perceive lack and you go ahead and verbalize it. You, you go ahead and say it out loud. We got to be careful with that, church. The word is very clear about the power of the spoken word. And, and I can give you all kinds of examples. You see the economy start to slip. And you see maybe your company is shaking a little bit and you will not only think it, you will say it out loud. I'm going to lose my job. Why not put it in a knot at the end of that? I'm going to lose my job. Not right. You hear from a doctor and it's not a good report. And by the way, let me just say to some of you who are doctors, I love you. We appreciate your brain. You need some PR help. You're so smart that, that you're common sense stupid. And, and, and sometimes I've been in those meetings where, where you will deliver horrible news in such an unkind and, uh, and certain way. I've been in that room. I've been in that room where the doctor says, hey, here's the worst news, acting like I'm interrupting them, right? And they hand me the bad news and say, here's the worst news ever, see ya. And they don't even want to answer a question. And you leave the doctor in that moment and you think, well, well what the doctor said is true. And, and you leave and you think worst case immediately and you run with that, but you need to put a knot at the end of that. Why? Because the Lord is your shepherd. I, I'm going to be sick forever. Not. These treatments are going to be too expensive. No. The, the, the doctor's probably right. Not, right? And you remember uh, a few months ago, I gave you the knots. Remember that you're supposed to pay attention to in the culture around you, that when you hear these knots, that that's a moment for you to dive in a, a, as an agent in the army of God, right? Remember we tied knots on, on our keychains. Mine's whittled down all the way to just the knot. But remember, we gave you these knots on your keychain for you to remember that you hear somebody say a knot and that's a door, for you to walk through. When somebody says, uh, it's not going well, boom, I'm going in, right? Because that's an invitation for me to go in as the child of God. It's not going well. Well, let me help you with that. Let me introduce you to Christ. Let me bring you to my church. I'm not from around here. Boom. I want to go in and I want to help you get connected to people. I'm not connected. Well, let me, let me go right through that door and help you get connected and help you find a small group or help you find a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, but, but sometimes we, as the children of God, allow our knot to be the same knot that the world has, and they should not be the same. And what you need to do is that when you feel yourself sliding to the end of the rope, you need to tie a knot at the end of that rope and hold on to that knot because the Lord is your shepherd. And when we put a knot at the end of that sentence, we, what we're doing is acknowledging God as our shepherd, that he is the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And we're putting the world on notice. And quite honestly, we're not just putting the world on notice. We're putting ourselves on notice. To say that he will provide, he will protect, he is my shepherd. My kids are out of control and they'll always be out of control. Not. My husband could never come to know Jesus. He'll never be saved. Not. My life is over. Not. We put a knot at the end and we put God at our beginning. Every time you put the knot at the end, you put God at the beginning. And we put him in the driver's seat and we let him take control. And when he's in control, what does he do? Look at the psalm. Verse 2. Look at it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I want you to double underline the word makes me, makes me. That, that verb there makes, that he has to make us sometimes. This is why we need to give up control but because 
We don't always want to, right? We don't always want to do the things that benefit us. We don't always want to do the things that we know are good for us, that we know will help us. Uh, Sometimes we want to confess the bad. Sometimes we just want to live in the misery. Sometimes we just want to swim around in in that pool. It it takes you and me giving control over to him. And when we do that, he, he lovingly responds. How? By making us. And what does he make us do? Well, the scripture's there. We'll dive into it next week. But, but he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he makes me drink from still waters. And he leads me down the paths of righteousness. In other words, the things he makes me do are for my benefit and they are for my good. But they're also things that we naturally tend to avoid and don't want to do. And when you make God your shepherd, he will help you. He, yes, he will do things for you, but he will also make you. He will make you do some things that are good for you. And it's such a good, good thing that a good father would do that for you and me. And it's so comforting at times to know that my father is so good, he is so loving, that he will make me even when I don't want to, when he knows it's for my best. Occasionally, I will sit across from a man or a woman or a couple who will say, Pastor, i got to ask you a question. How could a good God let me walk through what I just walked through? How could a good God let me face what I just faced? How would a good God... Let me discover or walk through these days. And sometimes I want to flip it on them. I want to say, let me ask you this question. How would a good daddy let a baby be strapped down in a hospital and have needles shoved in that baby? How would a good dad let let, let a child who has been injured severely be manhandled by doctors and, and cut open for things to be taken out and things to be taken care of? A good dad would. Because a good dad knows more than what that child knows. And a good dad knows that that's for that child's good, even though the child does not perceive it in that moment. You rest assured, you serve a good, good, good shepherd. And the image of him making me is about absolute surrender to him. That you and I declare, God, make me. I can't do this on my own, so you make me do it. This is an acknowledgement of your absolute helplessness and absolute need before God. It's like making a baby take a nap because you know the baby needs the nap, right? When all of us now are like, man, I wish somebody make me take a nap. What happened to that? Where we bring the mat to work, right? And roll it out and they say, we're going to sleep eat your four Cheerios and then take a nap. We would welcome that today because we know it's good for us and we know we need it and we know we want it. That's what the good father does. And sometimes, listen to me, I want you to hear me. Sometimes we are tempted to measure the faithfulness of our God by the greenness of our pastures. When everything is going right and everything feels comfortable, and we're really, really comfortable, then we think, man, God is so good. He is such a good God. But when everything starts to brown up a bit, we want to say, where's God now? And and what is going on now? And where are you, God? What what happened to you? And and by the way, the grass in Israel is like the grass in Tulsa. It's not magically green. And and in fact, Limley asked me the other day, why are we painting the grass green in different places all over the city? And and, and some sort of fertilizer, right? And they put the paint in it so they can see it, but it's not magically green because it's the Holy Land. They go through seasons just like we go through seasons in Israel. In fact, just like here, they can go through three seasons in one week, just like we do, right? And and it'll be warm and cold, but in the spring, 
Man, I've been to Israel in the spring. And in the early fall, that grass is very, very, very lush, and it can be found easily. But in the middle of summer, when that Middle Eastern sun is scorching down on that hot place, man, it is hot. Or in the winter, when the ground goes cold and, and, and the ground has become really, really cold, things start to brown. And things start to thin out a bit, right? And, and it, it's a skilled shepherd, by the way, who in the winter or in the heat of the summer can find the grass for his sheep. And we like to measure God's faithfulness by the greenness of our pasture, but we should be measuring it based on his ability to find the grass and his willingness to lead us to the grass and his power to make us lie down in it, right? That's what we should measure it on. And all of us, by the way, are going through a season right now, a good one or a bad one, right? In fact, we go through strings of seasons. We go in and out of seasons. One of the uh, students who led us in worship this morning, he said, hey, before I lead in worship today, just tell me, what are you praying for your church today? Is everything going good or is everything going bad? And I, I said, well, that's the misnomer. Everything's not good or bad, right? We, we, we got babies in the NCIU and in our church. By the way, I got a text today. One just let out. Praise the Lord. The blood temperature came up. The blood sugar came up. And, and the baby is fine. And they're going to be discharged. At four pounds, the baby is fine. And, and, and then there, there are people who've lost a spouse in our church. There are people who are dealing with cancer in our church. There are people who just retired and sold their business for millions of dollars in our church. There are people where everything is going well. In a church with seven or 8,000 people, it's never all good or all bad, right? You always got both. You always got good and bad. But that's not just true in a big church. That's true in your own life, that it's never all good and it's never all bad. They are parallel paths and you're always on both of them at the same time, right? And all of us are in a season right now and the string of seasons and just like you know with your lawn that it will go through winter where the ground will freeze and the grass will go brown. The spring is coming. And it's going to get green again. And the life is going to come. In fact, this morning, about 5.30, when my alarm went off, I could hear the birds singing outside. First time in a while I've heard the birds singing in the morning. I thought, I love the spring. I love it when things start to pop and things start to come to life and we can play golf again. And, and, and we go through that, right? And, and, but it feels like there's moments where, where it's winter and, and there are moments when it's hard to hear God's voice and there are moments where it's hard to see his hand. But rest assured, if the Lord is your shepherd, he is there and he is working underneath the ground and he is moving and your God is not a seasonal God. He is there in every single season of your life. Never a day have I walked alone. Never a day has he ever let me fall. And as sure as February gives way to March, gives way to April, you know that your season will turn from bad to better to great. You know that to be true. And when you're going through this season, whether it's a good time or a bad time or a tough time. And by the way, you're either coming out of a tough time, going into a tough time, or, or, or in the middle of a tough time, right? Because it's seasonal and those things happen to all of us. And some of you have been around on this planet long enough that you can sense it. And you feel it. And the Lord's giving you a, a hint and a hunch and, and you brace for it. You say, honey, well, I think it's going to be tough, right? But, but you're also aware because of your maturity that you will soon be coming out of it because you know it to be true. And in the middle of a tough season, we just want out, don't we? We just want to escape the tough time, and we want to get to the green grass immediately. But hear me, the shepherd doesn't just pick up the sheep and escape. The shepherd leads the sheep to where the green grass is, even if it's sparse or spare. The shepherd knows how to do that, and he wants to lead you through the moment and the season that you are in at this moment. Hear, hear me and write this down. Peace is not the same thing as escape. 
Peace is not the same thing as escape. At every campus, write that down. At downtown, at midtown, Owasso, South Tulsa, in Chicagoland, in Egypt, in the Battle Creek Worship Center, in the chapel, if you're watching online, you need to write that truth down right now. Peace is not the same thing as escape. Peace does not mean escape from all of our problems. Peace means in the midst of our problems, we can still find the green grass and we can still find a place of rest in our heavenly father. And in the tough times, we don't turn away from God. That's the worst time to turn away from God. In the tough times, that's the moment for you to turn to him. It's in the tough times that we don't look for escape. We look for embrace from our heavenly father, from our shepherd and what he means to us. And and, and this is all about who God is. Who is your shepherd, right? This is about finding your identity alongside his identity because he's the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and I am his sheep and our identity is found in who he is to us. Go back to verse one. We're not moving very fast, are we? Go Go back to verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here here it is, I want you to see this. I gave it to you in your notes this morning. The Lord is, I will. The Lord is this, I will that. That is the formula for the child of God. That is the basis of our faith. Because God is this, I will that. And often we get that screwed up in this world and we take our cues from the culture rather than taking our cues from the Holy Spirit of God. And we think the problem is this, so I will that, right? My season is this, so I will that. My friends did this, so I will that. My family's done this, so I will do that. Instead, we gotta flip our focus off of the culture, put our focus on God Almighty, He is my shepherd. The Lord is this, so I will that. That is the formula for the child of God. The Lord is blank. Fill it in in your notes. You come up with the truth that God is for you. The Lord is this, so I will whatever it is that he's leading you to do to respond in a way that gives him glory and honor in your life. The Lord is my healer so I will be healed. The Lord is my provider, so I will be taken care of. He is my shepherd. He is my rock, and I will not stumble, and I will not fall. The Lord is my shield, and I will be protected from the fiery darts of the enemy. You you write it down and keep it and make a copy of it. Put it in your windshield. Put it in your mirror in your bathroom. Find a place to get this truth in your heart and on your lips that you confess the truth of the Lord is my shepherd. And you need to read these things out loud. You need to get in a group of people at times where you read these things out loud. You get with two other people and read the Bible to each other and read the truth out loud. Make some positive confession that this is what God says. And sometimes there are people in your life who are in uh, by green pastures and sometimes there are people by still waters and sometimes there are people in, in the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes when you come out of the valley of the shadow of death, I've heard it a thousand times because I declare to people, you ought to put God on praise right now. You need to shout it from the mountaintops that you came out of that oven and the Lord is seasoning you. He is working in you. He's doing fresh things in you. And many times they're afraid to declare that because they say there's still people in the valley. I can't declare God healed me. There are still people God hadn't healed. Let me tell you something. When you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you need to hear the people in the green pastures and in the still waters shouting to the glory of God. It is encouragement to those people. And you make this positive confession. He leads me beside quiet waters. We're going to come to that in a few weeks, but what is that? That's a place of rest. Sheep are terrified by running water. And so he leads them. The good shepherd leads them to the water that is is still and is quiet. It's a calm 
in the midst of chaos. And that's what God does. In the midst of any storm, he is more than capable of taking you to the calm. And, and this psalm, by the way, it's a call back to, to the wandering in Israel. It's a call back to the Exodus. That's what David, the shepherd, is doing as he's writing this psalm. When they left Egypt in the Exodus, they were in the desert for 40 years. And in the midst of that wandering, on a regular basis, this is what the Bible says happened. In fact, in Numbers chapter 10, verse 33, if you want to write it down and look it up later, it says the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them. And on a regular occurrence, it says the ark went before them to find them a place of rest. That's what God does. That's what your shepherd does. It tells me that if the ark of God or the presence of God went before them, he's before us today. He is leading us today more today than he did in that day because of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, that whatever season you're walking through, whatever time of turmoil or moment of confusion, your God is not confused. He did not drop something and bend over to pick it up and lose focus on his sheep. Not for one moment. He is not confused. He is not lost. He is leading you. He is leading you and he loves you and he is taking care of you and he will go before you to find a place of resting. And when the cares of this world feel like a tornado and it feels like chaos, he will find the calm and he can get you there every time. Look at verse three. He refreshes my soul. Refresh means to restore. He, he, he restores me. He restores us. What, what, what does he restore? Well, what do you need restoring in your life? That's what he wants to restore for you, right? And, and I want you to hear me. <clears throat> Some of you, you need to walk through a moment or a season of repentance of repentance because you've turned your focus off of God and you've turned it onto the things of this world and you've allowed that chaos to swarm around you and, and constantly your heart is not in peace and you feel like you can't hear the voice of God and you feel like you can't see the hand of God and you feel like God is so distant. And here, here, let me just tell you, in all the years of ministering to people, the one common denominator I found in that moment is that a child of God in that moment needs to repent. Needs to repent. That I'm walking this way and I declare, I will, I will turn and I will put my focus back on you, God. I will change my mind to this situation. I know that appears good. I know that appears wonderful. I know that appears like it's going to give me what it, what it promises to give me, but I don't believe it. I believe you, God. And you need to repent. Some of you, you, you don't need to repent. You need refreshing. You need the still waters. You need to hear God's voice again. You need to sense his spirit again. God restores us. He restores what we have lost. He restores what many times we have given away. And he returns us to this place of peace. And listen, hear me. Hear me. What we've lost may never be the same again. And it may be broken. But his restoration is the type of restoration that is peaceful. It is peaceful. You, you, you may not, this side of heaven, get that relationship with that passed on loved one again. You, you, you may not see them again, this side of heaven. 
You may not be married to the one who, the spouse who abandoned you ever again, this side of heaven. Krista, you're not going to see your dad again, this side of heaven. But you can have restoration of peace in your soul. You can have restoration of peace in your heart. And that restoration is part of his provision. And it's part of his protection. And his provision and his protection, listen, they come from our personal relationship with our shepherd. And he refreshes us when we dive down deep into that personal relationship with him. How often do do you check in with God in your relationship with him? How often do you do that with your spouse or with your kids, right? We do it all the time. Now that I got one driving, I check in all the time. I'm going to find my iPhone as much as I'm in any, everything else. How you doing? What you doing? You watching the road? Check in with your kids. I do it all the time. I drive Meredith crazy, actually. Meredith's just like, I'm busy. What, what do you want? So I just call. Say I love you. I always make her feel guilty when I say that. In fact, it's Valentine's week. I give you all the men in here some advice. You call your girl during the day. So I'm not calling for any reason. Just, just I was just thinking about you. Give you a tip from experience. You better be ready to answer the question. Oh yeah, what were you thinking? You can't say it unless you got an answer because they may ask you. <laughs> so you better have a reason. Your pastor wants to help you, man. <laughs> Things are great, right? I, I, I'm checking in. And you do that with your children, and you do that with your spouse, you do that with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, just to check in. And what you're saying is, how are we doing? How are we doing? What if you checked in with God periodically throughout the day and say, hey, how are we doing? How are we doing, God? We can never be led by God if we're not checking in with him. Look what the Bible says. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. The right paths, by the way, are righteous paths. That's what it says. Righteous paths. Where do righteous paths lead? To righteousness. They lead to righteous places. They are the right paths. It means when you are on them, you are going the right direction. You may not be able to see around the corner. You may not be able to see up the hill, but you're going the right way. It means that wherever we are, if we were led there by God, we are perfectly positioned to be there. And those right paths, listen to me, in conjunction with the phrase that God put in that psalm, for his name's sake, that speaks of the faithfulness of God Almighty. Do you know what that means? It means God is leading you. And how is he leading you? He is leading you faithfully. He's leading you faithfully. Mike, you're not going to see your son or your wife that we laid to rest this side of heaven. But he's leading you, my friend. And he wants to lead you by still waters. And he wants to lead you and make you lay down in green pastures. Hear, Hear me today. He has bound himself to that. He bound himself to that. He is not staking your life on you or your faithfulness to him. He is staking it on his faithfulness to us. And what he is doing for you, he bound himself to it. He bound himself to act 
and he is taking the lead. He is taking the responsibility. He is putting his name on it. He is staking his name on the outcome of your life. He is putting his name on your line. He is putting his name and backing it up with his own personal label. He is the one signing the check. He is the one vouching for the payment in your life for his name's sake. He is the one doing this for me. Why? Because he is my shepherd. Who, who is your shepherd? There's some of you here today. Some of you slipped into our student ministry this week as a guest. And you've not yet given your life to Jesus. Some of you are here because uh, your kids are here. Some of you are a visitor or a guest. Some of you have been here your whole existence. And yet you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you make him your shepherd today? Every head bowed, every eye closed across all of our campuses. I want to lead you in a prayer, helping you cross that faith line to trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. I'm going to pray it one phrase at a time so that you can repeat it after me. You're going to hear men and women all around you at every campus praying it out loud as well. Many of them for the very first time crossing that line and giving their lives to Christ. Many of them praying as an encouragement to you. But right where you're seated at every campus, every head bowed, every uh, eye closed, every heart open to the truth of God. Would you just declare right where you're seated and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior my forgiver, in the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. I receive you. I receive salvation. Thank you for saving me. Before I say amen, let me just say to you today, there's some of you in the room and our campuses today. You're walking through a season. And if you were to get really, really, really honest and tell the truth, you, you would declare to the Lord today, I'm tired. Because the season you're in is really tiring and tough. Or maybe you're just coming out of a tough time. But, but whatever it is that you're feeling today, I, I think we need to make that declaration to the Lord. Uh, we need to be honest with the Lord. He knows it already anyways. God, I'm tired. God, I'm dry. God, I'm parched. God, I'm hurting. God, I, I'm bruised. And, and we need to make that declaration to him. But then we don't leave it there. We follow it up and declare the truth that comes after that. I am this, but the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. And what we're going to do at every campus today is we're going to open up the altars for you to come and pray. For you to come and do this wrestling match with your heavenly Father and your Holy Spirit. For you to come get on your knees and, and to say, God, I, I'm lonely, but the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. And, and I want to borrow a phrase from my charismatic friends and brothers. What you need to do is pray through. You pray from where you are through to where you need to be. You're seeing it as if it's already done when it's not done in order for it to be done. That's what faith is. It's the hope and the assurance things that are not seen and, and we can't see today. It's done in the heavenlies, by the way. Everything you need, it's already done. And you need to declare that it is done. And you need to tell your soul to get in line with your spirit. And you need to take your mind and your will and your emotions. And you need to command them to get in line with your spirit. David said, 
praise the Lord, oh my soul. That was his spirit telling his soul who's in charge and what we're going to do here. I don't care if you feel like it. We're going to worship the Lord. That you're taking your mind and your will and your emotions, you're bringing them under the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. At every campus, would you stand together with me? We're going to open the altar. You begin to come even now, and we're going to pray, and we're going to sing, and we're going to worship. Don't wait on somebody else to come. Just make your way out. Let's get on our faces before the Lord today, and let's pray through. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want.
or many of them have laid them down to you just now. And God, we're just going to declare that you are our shepherd. God, I pray we make it personal. You are my shepherd. And God, you want to walk with us through the good, through the tough, through the, through the best, through, through the difficult. God, you walk with us. And we declare that today, that you are our shepherd, and we're going to hold on to that. We're going to walk out of here and live in that. We're going to follow you. So, God, I just pray we'll be true to what you've spoken to our heart today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.